Thanks for joining us. The following is a presentation of Ignite Global Ministries and features the teaching of Pastor Ben Dixon. Pastor Ben has a vision of strengthening the church to impact the world. He serves as lead pastor at Northwest Foursquare Church in Federal Way, Washington. Father, we thank you that you are a heavenly father. And we thank you, Lord, that you are a God that has created the heavens and the earth and everything that it contains. As we look at creation itself, we say that you are a God of diversity. And Lord, as we look at humanity, we pray, Lord, that in the diversity that you would bring unity. And Lord, we pray that as a people that you would release your kingdom, that you would release your presence and grace over us, and that you would draw our hearts to you, and as we draw to you, that you would draw our hearts to each other. We just thank you for your grace and blessing, not over only on the church, but Lord, that you would bless our community and the surrounding world. Lord, thank you for being with us. And Lord, as we approach your scripture today, Lord, we just pray that you would give us clarity, understanding, that you would teach us, and that you would change us through it. We thank you for your grace. In Jesus' name, amen. As we begin our study today, just as introduction, we're going to remind ourselves of Paul's situation. Paul is in Caesarea. He's under house arrest or basically in prison in chains for the gospel. And we remember that he was arrested uh, for bringing the gospel to the Gentiles. He was in Jerusalem offering sacrifices just carrying out the laws of the Nazarite when the Jews of Asia just surrounded him, began to beat him, drag him out of the temple, and began to accuse him of all kinds of different things. And the Roman centurion and the commanders rescued him, and then the Jews had a plot to kill him. And so because of that, he was taken to Caesarea to the governor. And at that time, the governor was Felix, and uh, the Jews brought uh, charges against him, but notice that not even the Asian Jews showed up. It was just the Jewish leaders. And Felix himself was just overwhelmed by all the charges, but really saw nothing to really convict Paul of. And so with that, he just left Paul in prison. And the word tells us in chapter 24 that he used to listen to Paul every once in a while, but as he listened to Paul, that he was just under conviction. And after a couple of years, it says that he was removed from office. And as he was removed from office for a favor of the Jews, that he was left in prison. And we really think that he was in trouble with the Jews and that there had been ill reports given to him. And so he had to make a defense back in Rome to the emperor. So he wanted the favor of the Jews. Felix was a freed slave and he had won the favor of the emperor Claudius and so he was given the right to be a governor, which was really uh, unique for a freedman to have that position. But he was also known for his violence, his cruelty, his greed, and all of those things just came upon him. And after the ill reports, he was just causing chaos within Jerusalem, Judea, and Israel. So he was removed from office. So again, he probably left Paul in prison just to be able to win the favor of the Jews or to have something favorable said about him. 
And again, I want to remind you as we're just remembering Paul's situation, but also remembering the words of Jesus, of what Jesus said. Jesus said, you will receive power, then you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the remotest parts of the earth. And again, the book of Acts is talking about not only the reception of the Holy Spirit, but it is talking about how the gospel spread from Jerusalem, from the Jewish people, Judea, Samaria, to the ends of the earth. And the story really centers around two of the apostles. It's going to center around uh, Peter and Paul. And the end of the book is always centered around Paul, which is going to finalize as he steps into Rome. That was the goal of the apostle, not the end of his ministry, but really the end of this book with with Paul heading to Rome. So as we enter into this, uh, I want you to remember also Jesus said that you will be brought before governors and kings for my sake. Paul the apostle had witnessed to the Gentiles, to the Jews, and now he was being brought before the authorities. And part of that is witnessing to Felix and Festus and Agrippe, all these kings that would come, they needed to hear the gospel too. Because the word says that our God wishes that none perish, but all come to an understanding of eternal life. In other words, that all people are saved. There is no one excluded from this. So Acts 25 is kind of a middle chapter in the sense of Paul's incarceration in Caesarea. He's witness to Felix, he's going to witness to Festus, and he's going to witness to Agrippe, and then he's going to journey to Rome. Chapter 25 is in preparation for his final address in the book of Acts, which is going to be found in chapter 26. As we begin our study of chapter 25, let's read verses 1 to 5 together. And the scripture says, Festus then, having arrived in the province, three days later went up to Jerusalem from Caesarea. And the chief priests and the leading men of the Jews brought charges against Paul, and they were urging him, requesting a concession against Paul that he might be brought to Jerusalem at the same time setting an ambush to kill him on the way. And Festus then answered that Paul was being kept in custody in Caesarea and that he himself was about to leave shortly. Therefore he said, let the influential men among you go with me and if there is anything wrong with this man, let him be let them prosecute him. So we have Festus, he becomes governor and he decides that he needs to go down to uh, Jerusalem. That's the capital of Israel. That's where all the leaders were at. That's where the Sadducees, the chief priests, the Pharisees were at. And just meet the people, introduce himself, and really just get an understanding of the culture and what was going on. So after he arrives um, and meets with the leaders, immediately the Jews begin to bring charges against Paul. They're asking for favor with him that he would bring Paul down to Jerusalem for trial. It's been a couple years, notice that, and they still are seeking to kill him. They have not forgotten that. They're looking for a point to be able to ambush him. They don't want to bring him to trial. They just want to kill him. And uh, 
I want you to also know that through history, Ananias is no longer the high priest. The high priesthood is changed, and it's now is Ishmael is now the high priest. And the Jews' hostility towards Paul remained. And uh, so the governor tells them that they can come down to Caesarea with him, that he's not going to bring Paul to Jerusalem at this point, and they can bring charges against him there. As we move on in our study, let's at, look at verses 6 through 8. And the script, scripture reads, And after he spent not more than eight or ten days among them, that's at Jerusalem, he went down to Caesarea. Notice you always go down from Jerusalem. That's how the scripture is read. It's the city of our God. Um, and on the next day, he took his seat on the tribunal and ordered that Paul be brought. And after Paul arrived, the Jews who had come down from Jerusalem stood around him and circled him. It actually says, um, and uh, began to bring serious charges against him, which they could not prove. Notice that could not prove. And while Paul said in his own defense, I have committed no offense, either against the law of the Jews, or against the temple, or against Caesar. Three issues that he's bringing before them. So Paul stands before Festus as the new governor. He's on trial. Um, Festus is actually sat in the judgment seat. That's the place for the trial to begin. Um, and Paul is brought out for questionings. And then the Jews encircle him around him and begin to accuse him of various serious crimes. And the accusations, again, it seems that they were according to the law because later Festus is going to talk to Agrippa and say there are charges against the law of things that I didn't even understand or didn't know why they were being brought to me. But they were accusing him of blasphemy against God. And that blasphemy was the heart of the living God to bring the gospel to the Gentiles, to bring all people in. And again, that's centered around the promise that we find in Genesis chapter 12, verse 3, as the Lord is blessing Abraham and he says, in you all the nations will be blessed. Those who bless you, we will bless. Those who curse you, I will curse. So again, God's heart is for all people to be saved. And the Jews centered around themselves, they excluded the Gentiles, world. And so they are charging him with blasphemy because he has brought the gospel to the Gentiles and not made them become Jews. The second uh, charge that they had was for violating the temple. They said that the, he brought a Gentile into the temple grounds, into not the court of the Gentiles, but into the place of the men of Israel, which Paul did not do. There was no grounds for this, but they were just in confusion, and it was a riot that happened with that. And the third charge that they brought against Paul, which really was unsubstantiated, was that he broke Roman law. And the reason that they said this, that they just wanted to get him in trouble with the authorities. Anything that works, we'll just claim it against Paul, and maybe we can bring about the condemnation of death against him. So Paul steps up and defends himself. Family, <laughs> The Lord says, don't worry about when you're brought before governors and kings and that, because the Holy Spirit will give you that which you need to speak at the time. In other words, we don't just defend ourselves. 
but the Holy Spirit speaks through us in defense. And defense is that which brings glory to God and gives again an opportunity for the gospel to be presented. So Paul defends himself, and I have not sinned in any way, is basically what he says, against the law of the Jews, against the temple, or against Caesar. So as he makes this statement, then Paul is going to make his appeal to Caesar. Let's go on in our study and look at verses 9 to 12. But Festus, wishing to do the Jews a favor, answered Paul and said, Are you willing to go up to Jerusalem to be killed? Sorry, that's my comment. And stand trial before me on these charges. But Paul said, I am standing before Caesar's tribunal, where I ought to be tried. Why is he saying this? He's a Roman citizen. I have done no wrong to the Jews, as you are very well known. And if then I am a wrongdoer, and I have committed anything worthy of death, I do not refuse to die. But if none of these things are true, of which these men accuse me, not one can hand me over to them, I appeal to Caesar. And then when Festus had conferred with his counsel, he answered, you have appealed to Caesar, and to Caesar you will go. So Paul's going to appeal to Caesar, and the movement is here. Notice that the Jews had not convinced Festus that Paul had violated Jewish law, because if he had violated Jewish law, he would have simply handed them over to the Sanhedrin that he could be punished according to their law. But because he was not convinced of this, he did not go give him over to them. But also, he wanted to again appease the Jews. He was the new governor, and he was remembering the fact that his former Felix had been removed because the Jews were upset with him, didn't like him. Um, and so he's trying to bring a point of appeasement and says that he will bring Paul down and that he will be the judge in these events. But again, he didn't know the history of Paul. He didn't know that these men had already made a, a vow to kill him by not eating and not drinking. I wonder how they're doing two years later. But again, that same heart was still there, that they were just looking for a way to get Paul out of Caesarea, out of the protection of the Romans, so they could kill him. So the charge then uh, against the Jewish law, basically that was kind of acquitted. Uh, uh, but then the charge that remained was violating Roman law. And in the heart of Rome, the government of Rome, that was more serious of a charge. Um, in their zeal to condemn Paul, Jews had made a mistake, and they had charged him with a crime only that a Roman law could decide. So with that, he had committed him to a Roman court, thereby removing him from the Sanhedrin or the Jewish court. So remember that um, Festus wanted to appease the leaders of the Jews. Uh, Felix had been removed, I said that. And the Jews were known for their constant unrest. It was a providence that really gave Rome a lot of grief. And so with that, he was trying his best to bring peace to the land and to bring Paul to them 
And again, he said that he would be the one that would stand and judge the charges that were made. And he said if Paul was willing to go, that he would make sure that he got a good defense and a proper trial. The fact is, that was not what the Jews wanted at all. They wanted to kill him. And so either whether he went through the trial and was allowed, released from the trial, or whether on the way they were seeking for an opportunity to destroy his life. So Paul, knowing this, he didn't want to die just needlessly. He makes an appeal to Caesar, knowing that either his travel or his trial would result in his death. And his attitude is here, if I've done wrong, I deserve to die, I'll die. But if I haven't and I haven't done any wrong, then I'm not worthy of death and I'm not willing to give my life needlessly. If I need to give my life for the gospel, I'll give my life for the gospel. I'm a witness of Jesus Christ, but I'm not going to die in a way needlessly that doesn't bring glory to Jesus. And so I appeal to Caesar and the comment was made by the governor, you've appealed to Caesar, and to Caesar you will go. I want you to notice something on the Roman citizen's right. Remember, Paul is a Roman citizen, born as a citizen, and as he was born of a citizen, he had a lot of rights in Rome that was highly valued. And because of that, it said that he probably had a family of high standing. So Roman authorities want to make sure that his rights as a citizen are carried out. So Paul had stated that he'd been standing before a Roman court, and as a right as a citizen, that was his right to be judged by the Romans because the charges were ultimately brought to the Romans against him. And as a citizen, he had the also the right to appeal for his life. No governor could put somebody to death if they appealed to Caesar. And so he appeals to Caesar. They could not kill him. They could not chain him or torture him until he was truly convicted of the crime. And once the appeal was made, it could not be prevented that local government had to make sure that travel and housing was arranged to take Paul to appear before the emperor. And it had to be done in a timely manner. In other words, two more years in jail would not work, but they had to arrange the travel for him. So with that, the governor Festus is like, okay, what am I to do with this? And then we're told in the scripture that King Agrippa is going to come and visit him. And that was something often that just the respect and introduction of the local governments around would come and introduce themselves to the new governors. So in verse 13, let's look at verse 13. Now when several days had elapsed, King Agrippa and Bernice arrived at Caesarea to pay their respects to Festus. Now, as we look at King Agrippa, who's King Agrippa? Well, he is the grandson of Herod the Great. And Herod the Great was the one that went to Rome, being part Jew, to receive the kingdom. He was uh, the uh, governor at the time that, or the king at the time that Jesus was born. And he was known for his harshness. He killed his own family members. Um, He killed his own sons. Um, and he tried to prevent all from taking his a kingdom. And with that, we read about him killing the 
young children in Bethlehem in the surrounding area because he heard that there was a king born to the Jews. And so, again, Agrippa is the grandson of Herod the Great, and because of the death of his father, and he was too young to take the kingdom, he was brought up in Rome in Claudius's court. And in Claudius's court, they just loved him. Nero loved him as well. And so he had favor, but as he was a Jew, he was limited in his authority. So he was given a kingdom northeast of Israel, and his land was expanded in Nero's reign. And, uh, but as a king, he would receive income from his people or from the lands of his people. So that would support him. And so he was also, because of his Jewish heritage, he was given the right to appoint high priests, and he had custodianship over the temple treasure and the priest vestments, which would be the high priest vestments, would be worn once a year and worn during the Day of Atonement. So he guarded that, he protected, he was over that, and really an important position for the peace of Rome was the appointing of the high priest. It was no longer chosen by family line or inherited, but it was appointed, and there was some corruption involved in that. And then it says that he traveled with Bernice, and Bernice was his sister. She had been married for a couple years. Her husband died, and so she traveled with her brother, and it states in history that they had an incestuous relationship for a time. So it is he that comes. Uh, he again is just uh, greeting the new governor, Felix, and so a conversation is going to come forth. So Festus seeks the counsel of King Agrippa. Why? Because he understand the Jewish people and because he was another ruler and he wanted some wisdom in what to write the governor. So as we look at this, look, let's look at verses 14 through 22. And the scripture reads, While they were spending many days there, Festus laid Paul's case before the king, saying, There is a man who was left as a prisoner by Felix. And when I was at Jerusalem, the chief priests and the elders of the Jews brought charges against him, asking for a sentence of condemnation against him. And I answered them that it is not the custom of Romans to hand over any man before his accusers meet his accusers face to face and has the opportunity to make defense against the charges. So after they had assembled here, I did not delay, but on the next day took my seat on the tribunal and ordered that the man be brought before me. And when his accusers stood up, they began bringing charges against him, not of such crimes which I was expecting, but they simply had some points of disagreement with him about their own religion and about a dead man, Jesus, whom Paul asserted to be alive. Jesus is alive. And being at a loss of how to investigate such matters, I asked whether he was willing to go to Jerusalem and there stand trial on these matters. But when Paul uh, appealed uh, to be held in custody for the emperor's decision, I ordered him to be kept in custody until I sent him to Caesar. Then Agrippa said to Festus, 
I also would like to hear the man myself tomorrow. He said, you shall hear him. So Festus is just laying out his case before um, the king Agrippa, and he's just saying, I don't even know what to say. I don't even know what charges to bring against this man. Really, in my mind, I don't see any wrong that he's done against the Jews or any wrong that he's done against Rome. But because Paul was unwilling to go to Jerusalem and he appealed to Caesar, I have to send him to Caesar, but I don't know what to say. And he understood that the Jews were trying to condemn Paul to death. They wanted to put him to death. But he was a Roman citizen, and therefore he, as the governor, Festus, was required to protect him according to the law and that accusations had to be presented and guilt had to be found before this would happen. But his accusers brought religious charges against Paul about matters of their religion, and it all centered around the person of Jesus. Isn't that so cool? That Jesus, they said, was dead, but Paul asserted that he has risen from the dead and that there is salvation in his name. And the Jewish people had disbelieved that Jesus was the Messiah, but Paul knew these things to be true. And as they asserted these things, of course, in the Gentile unbelieving mind, he had no discernment of what was being said. And so the trial just simply failed. And Paul, again, refused to stand trial before the Jews, and he asked for the Roman courts before Caesar. So then after this, um, uh, King Agrippa says that he wants to bring Paul before him. He wants to hear his case. And I think also that he had heard about the apostle and heard of the gospel, and he was curious to hear more. So let's read the final section of our scripture today, which is verses 23 through 27. And so on the next day, when Agrippa came together with Bernice amid great pomp and entered into the auditorium, accompanied by the commanders and the prominent men of the city. At the command of Festus, Paul was brought in. And Festus said, King Agrippa, and all the gentlemen here present with us, you see this man whom all the people of the Jews appealed to me, both at Jerusalem and here, loudly declaring that he ought not to live any longer. (laughs) Notice that, they just kill him. And they were very loud in their assertions. But I found that he had committed nothing worthy of death, and since he himself appealed to the emperor, I decided to send him. Yet I have nothing definite about him to write my Lord. Therefore I have brought him before you all, and especially before you, King Agrippe, so that after the investigation has taken place, I may have something to write, for it seems absurd to me in sending a prisoner not to indicate also the charges against him. So he's saying, I can't send him to Caesar because I don't know what to say to Caesar. And hopefully you, King Agrippe, by your understanding of the Jewish people, the Jewish law, will give me something to write so that I can carry out the desire of the Apostle Paul to be sent to Caesar for his determination, either his innocence or his condemnation. 
And so as he stands before uh, Agrippa, Festus states, here is a man that the Jews loudly declared that needs to die. Notice that. They're just, again, it's just almost a riot. And Festus states that he has found nothing in him deserving death. Remember, also not only the Jewish law, but also the Roman law. Because it was the Roman law, he could simply punish him as the governor, but there was nothing there for him to punish. And because Paul had appealed to the emperor, I must send him. But I do not know what charges to bring against him. Help me. So I want you to remember that Agrippa had understood the Jewish customs. We're going to go from chapter 25 to chapter 26 tomorrow. And in that, we're going to have Paul's final address to the king. And again, Paul is going to share how he became a Christian, and he's going to share the gospel with the king as a witness to him and a witness to all the men of prominence that were in that area with him in that court with him so that they could hear about Jesus too and they could respond in faith and receive the gospel as well. And we're going to find tomorrow that indeed his witness to Agrippa the king touched his heart. And Paul said, I will that in few days or many days that you would become a Christian as I, but not with these chains. So as we move from our passage today, Let's look at our application. And I want to just speak to you for a couple minutes about what this passage has spoken to me. First, I'm just, again, appalled by the Jews. The Jews hated Paul. Two years, and yet their hatred is still hot as ever. They still want to kill him. There is no reason for this. They had not seen him for two years, but they refused to forgive him. And As we look at the refusal to forgive, that bitterness can destroy our hearts and bitterness can destroy faith. The things that the Jews needed to do was to leave this behind. And you would think that after a couple years that it would be left behind, but it wasn't. And for me, I'm just challenged in my own heart through the events of life, through this event called COVID, and through relationships and the problems with relationships, that I don't allow unforgiveness or bitterness into my heart. But I allow the Lord to continue to do this. The Lord says, don't let the sun go down on your wrath. And so there's a challenge with me as I read through this scripture and just see the mob rule against Paul, that I would be one that lives in a forgiving heart, pleasing the Lord. And the thing that always gets me is the Lord's Prayer. It says, we pray, forgive those who have trespassed us. Forgive us of our trespasses is just as we forgive those that have trespassed against us. What we're really saying is, if I don't forgive, don't forgive me. But as I forgive others, forgive me. And I'm just remembering of all that Jesus has forgiven me of, and I know of that which he will forgive me of. I need his forgiveness. Family, let's not have hard hearts, and let's not walk around in unforgiveness, but let's walk continually in the forgiveness of the Lord as he empowers us to forgive and to love other people. Let's not be haters as the Jews were. The second thing that I see in the text is, Paul used his rights as a Roman citizen, not only 
trusting in the Roman courts and appearing before that court, but ultimately he appealed to Caesar. And what Caesar did he appeal to? It was Nero. And Nero was neurotic. He was known for his wickedness. And yet Paul, as a witness of the gospel and as a citizen, he appeals to Nero. And as he appeals, we notice something, that he is in subject to and respects the governing authorities that are over him. And we live in a time that is just crazy about the different aspects of government right now. But Paul told his disciple Timothy that he wants men everywhere and women to lift up holy hands and pray and to pray for those who are in governing authority. And the ones that they were praying for in governing authority was Nero. And Nero was known for lighting Christians on fire, being human torches around his government, around his garden. And he, he was the one that they were to pray for, not just to pray peace over him, but to pray that he would be saved and that he would come to know Jesus as his Lord and Savior. He also trusted in the Lord to use the governing authorities to protect him and to carry out his rights. And let me put it this way. Paul refused to just simply give up life and to be hopeless, but he fought for life. He used his rights. He used his citizenship so that he could not only live, but that he could expand the gospel of Jesus Christ. And I think the key part there is his heart to submit to the authorities. And I think the challenge for me constantly is to, again, not to allow a bitter, critical heart to come, but to allow a heart of prayer, a heart of worship, and to pray for the salvation of all men, including those that we disagree with, including those that are on whatever political spectrum that they are. We're asking God to change their hearts, to draw them to Jesus, to save them, that they'll be in the eternal kingdom with us. The third way that this scripture challenged me was Paul did not allow his current situation to shake his faith. Remember, family, he was jailed for just being a follower of Jesus and bringing the gospel, the heart of God, to the Gentile peoples, a promise made to Abraham that all the nations will be blessed in you. He was simply following the call of God and that he was oppressed, he was beaten, he was jailed, and he'd been left in jail for two years. But even in that, we find that he doesn't have a bitter attitude, but he has an attitude of service. And he, again, just graciously reaches out and shares the gospel of Jesus Christ. The word says that if God be for us, who can be against us? And the word says that God causes all things to work together for good, to those who love God and are calling according to his purposes. And sometimes life does not work out the way that you and I think, especially as followers of Jesus as we carry out his mission. We don't know where life is going to take us, but let's not allow the situations of life to embitter us. Let's allow every opportunity that God gives us to glorify Jesus who died for our sins and rose again from the dead and has promised us eternal life. Paul lived with his mindset on eternity and he trusted Jesus in every situation. He says that he knew how to be happy with riches. He knew to be happy in want. He knew happy to be cold, to be warm, to be hungry. 
In every situation, he knew how to be satisfied by keeping his mind set on the Lord. And family is never before. We need to be a people of prayer as we're praying and fasting together, but we need to keep our heart and mind set on the gospel and the promises of the living God. Our God is faithful. Our God is an overcomer. His kingdom will come, and he's going to reign forever. And in that, he knows you and I intimately, and he is using our lives to touch and to change other people. Paul was in chains because of the gospel and the witness to governing and authorities and ultimately to Caesar himself because Jesus deeply loves every person that has ever been born on this earth. And then finally, the last thing that this has spoken to me again was just in essence what I was saying. But Paul was on mission with Jesus and he was on mission to see the lost saved and disciples made. And the question is, are we being distracted from the mission that Jesus has called us to be by the current events of the world? Are we overcome with fear and doubt? Or do we realize the fact that the keys to the kingdom of God has been given us? The word says that we can speak to mountains and they will be removed. The word says that we can speak to trees and uproot them. The word says that he will make a path in the wilderness straight the way of the Lord. And family, we have authority. Are we functioning with the mission of Jesus? Are we functioning in faith? And are we functioning with the authority that he has given us? Or are we allowing the current events of the world that we live in to overcome and to suppress the faith that we have? You see, ultimately, our pastor says, and I so agree with this, that we serve the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God is the only righteous kingdom. He will come. He will rule forever. And that's the kingdom we want. We want Jesus to reign through our hearts, through his people, and to bring peace to this world, to heal the sick, to set the oppressed free, and to proclaim the favorable year of the Lord. The ultimate thing that as I have read this chapter, I see that Paul is on mission with Jesus in every circumstance that he has, and Paul's desire is with the governors and those authority over him is not to get out of a jail-free card, but to simply bring a witness to the gospel and allow God to direct the events of his life, knowing that God's plans are always for good and not for evil. He witnesses, and his heart as a missionary is to see the lost saved and disciples made. May that be who Jesus makes you and I. May the focus of our attention be on the kingdom of God. May we stand in authority, stand in prayer, stand in love, stand as witnesses as we declare the goodness of our Lord in all that Jesus has done. In chapter 26, Paul is going to declare again the gospel of Jesus and what Jesus has personally done for him, giving testimony to the greatness of his God. We too have a great testimony as we live in the presence of the Lord, the one that has loved us, died for us, risen from the dead, and promises eternity to each of us. Family, let's pray. Lord, we ask that today that you would remind us of our heritage, that you would give us the ability to endure all things for the sake of your kingdom. And Lord, that we would receive your redemptive hand in all that we do. 
We pray that you would grace us. We pray that you would empower us. We pray that we would be on mission for you and that you would release your gospel through us. Lord, today, not only challenge us, but release your authority, your grace, your love in our hearts as we would love people into the kingdom of God. Will you bless our family? Will you bless our community and the world around us? We pray this all in your name. Amen. Thanks for listening. If you'd like more information about Ignite Global Ministries, please go to our website, igniteglobalministries.org. While there, check out our Immersion Discipleship School and the books Pastor Ben has written.